Let's look to God in prayer. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, giving us this time when we as a church may again open your word. Lord, again I pray that uh, I may know your help this morning as I bring your word. Help me, Lord, to be faithful in proclaiming your word. Let me not be proclaiming my own thoughts, my own ideas, but Lord, I want to be faithful to your word and I pray, Lord, that uh, you may help me in the task. Without your help, I know I cannot do that. And I pray for those who are going to listen to your word and Lord, unless you help them, they will not understand the things of your word. And I pray, Lord, that they may know your help this morning so that we as a church may again say Amen to you. Thank you for the Sunday morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning we are again going to the book of Esther. I think uh, the last time I uh, preached from the book of Esther was in December or early January, I'm not sure, but it is now more than two months. So before we start, we are going to look at chapter 4 of the book of Esther. And before I come to chapter 4, I think it will be better if I can give you a, a brief summary of what is there in the first three chapters. So what we saw so far in this book is, the Jews now belong to the Persian Empire as a result of the exile. And some of the Jews had gone back to the promised land, but the majority preferred to stay back in Persia because life in Persia was not uh, difficult and many of those people were born in exile and they were children of the Persian Empire. They were very much people of Persia. And King Ahasuerus, the Persian ruler, had deposed his queen, Queen Vashti, because she was bold and she was prepared to uh, stand up to his tyranny. And therefore, Ahasuerus was looking for another queen and in the search he found a, a beautiful young woman by name Esther and Esther was taken into king's harem and did Esther want to become the queen or did she not want to become the queen uh, that is not mentioned in the book of Esther we do not know what she felt about that and uh, what we know is here is a, a pagan king a ruthless pagan king and uh, um, he will enforce whatever he wants to do and Esther was there in the harem and what we read in the Bible is Esther was pleasing to him and considering that the, why uh, the previous queen Vashti was banished I am sure that Ahasuerus was looking for a, a queen who was more compliant and in Esther he found one who was uh, more compliant and she was beautiful and as a result Esther has uh, been made the queen by King Agasaurus. Now following her uncle Mordecai, so you know that Esther had an uncle by name Mordecai, she continued to hide her Jewish identity even after she became the queen. And unlike her Daniel in the book of Daniel and his friends who stood up in the pagan kingdom and who said that they are Jews, and they lived as Jews, Esther kept quiet. No one in the kingdom knew her background except for probably her uncle Mordecai. 
and she concealed her identity because she did not want to know that she was a Jew and we also see that she did not resist the persian culture uh, she broke the mosaic law she compromised and as we read about mordecai and esther we find that their morality is uh, somewhat ambiguous and sometimes even questionable and that is what we see in the first three chapters and now more than 5 years have gone since uh, esther became the queen but still even this 5 years no one knew about uh, the ethnicity of uh, esther no one knew that she was jewish and what is happening is now esther mordecai is in the palace gates he is employed in the palace and one day he come, comes across a plot to kill king agasuras and he reveals the plot and surprisingly mordecai is not rewarded but we read that suddenly there is a man by name haman haman the agagite he is promoted to the place second only to the king and uh, no reason is being given why he deserved that promotion and the king when haman would became number 2 he made a proclamation that everyone should bow down to haman for reasons which we are not told in the scripture mordecai refused to bow down before haman and this was reported by the officials to haman haman was enraged and on learning that mordecai was a jew he scorned the idea of killing mordecai alone and he wanted to make sure that all the jews all over the kingdom not only in persia but all over the kingdom whether they were in jerusalem or any other place all those people should be annihilated that was the uh, intention of haman and he made king pass a decree to kill all the jews in the kingdom on the 13th day of the 12th month and they were in the first month of the year they are casting lots and now the lots have fallen off have fallen on the the 13th day of the 12th month there are still 11 more months but the decree has been passed and a copy of the decree has been sent to all the provinces so that the people will be ready to kill and annihilate the jews on that day on a single day so that the jews in the whole of the kingdom will be killed on one single day and now this announcement has gone all all over the kingdom because the proclamation has been sent to all the provinces and there was confusion in the city of susa and this is pretty much covers the first three chapters right so i think i you now remember at least vaguely remember that this is what has happened now let us come to the chapter 4 and what i am planning to do is i will take some big chunks of uh, uh, the passage explain that and finally in the conclusion i will give you some application that's what i am going to do so let us uh, read uh, let me read for you uh, from verses 1 to 9 of yes uh, the chapter 4 When Mordecai learned all that had been done Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth and in every province wherever the king's commander's decree reached there was great mourning among the jews with 
fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called out for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for the destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of the people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Mordecai could have never imagined that the revenge of Haman would extend beyond his own life. What would have been more distressing to Mordecai was the fact that it was his refusal to bow before Haman that led to this decree. He may have thought about the time when he came into the king's service, when he first came to the king's service. And that would have been considered an honor when he first came into the king's service. And now suddenly it has become a curse. If he had not been one of the men who sat on the king's gate on the day, he may not have seen Haman. And on the, uh, it may not have led to the occasion where a decree has now been passed. So all those things may have been going in the mind of Haman. He was thinking about that. And what did Haman do? He ripped his clothes to shreds and put on sackcloth and ashes. Ripping up your clothes is one way of showing how fashionable you are these days. The bigger the rip and the more number of rips in your clothes, the more fashionable you are. I'm not looking at your pants, okay? <laughs> but in those days, ripping your clothes was not a fashion. So when Mordecai was ripping his clothes, he was not making a fashion statement. In those when somebody was ripping his clothes and was putting on sackcloth and ashes, it was a sign of deep mourning and it was distress. And Mordecai did not mourn in private. His mourning was in public. So when the Jewish people throughout the kingdom knew of the decree, they also responded likewise by shedding the clothes and putting on sackcloths and ashes and there was grief and anxiety all over the kingdom and they were crying for deliverance. Now just wonder if a death sentence pronounced by an earthly king can produce such grief and anxiety, how much more grief will be there when a sinner is terrified that one day he will have to face the judgment of God. What a terrible thing it is. That should again show us how terrible it is when sinner when a sinner goes into the presence of God on the judgment day. 
And Mordecai's clothes are shred. He is wearing sackcloth and ashes. But he doesn't go into the king's gate because it was forbidden. The kings did not want to see any people sad. They were not concerned whether people were sad. But they didn't want to see people sad. And so anyone with sackcloths, with mourning, was not entered, allowed to enter into the king's gate. And Mordecai did not go into the king's gate. And here you look at Esther. Esther was a royal and not a commoner anymore. She had been removed from the mainstream of life in Susa. She was not out in the town square anymore. She was not in the marketplace. And she was paying the price of being the queen of Persia. She did not participate in the worship with the people of God. She had not identified herself with the people of God in any significant way. She was isolated. So while the news of this decree was echoing all over the kingdom, right from Ethiopia to India, Esther was clueless. Perhaps bad news, like the sackcloth was not permitted into the palace, and Esther knew nothing about that. In addition, why should someone go and inform Esther that a certain group of people are going to face a death sentence when they really did not know that Esther belonged to that people group? However, the news of Mordecai mourning somehow reached Esther. And that is why Mordecai was there. And though Mordecai was not in direct contact with Mordecai, with Esther in this five years, Esther was still concerned about him. When Mordecai was in distress, Esther was also distressed. So what she did was, when she heard about that Mordecai was uh, shed his clothes and was wearing sackcloth and ashes, she sent new clothes to him. She thought by sending new clothes to him, she could cheer him up. Well, she was very sincere in her response, but she was completely clueless. Why? Because she was isolated. She was not involved in the life of the Jewish people and she was not knowing what was happening. So, Esther is sending clothes to Mordecai, but Mordecai refused to accept the clothes. He sent it back. Only after Mordecai refused to accept the clothes and when it was sent back to Esther, then Esther made an attempt to find what was that which was actually troubling Mordecai. So now Esther sent her personal attendant, um, a eunuch by name, Hetak, to find, to meet Mordecai and find out the reason why Mordecai was in such a sorry state. So Hetak finally finds Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate and Mordecai told Hetak everything that had happened to him and not only to him, to all the Jews in the kingdom. And Mordecai did not stop with that. He instructed Hetak to convey this to Esther along with a command that she was to approach the king and plead on behalf of her people, the Jews. In verse 8, you see Mordecai is telling 
Mordecai gave a copy of the written decree issued and said, Ask, commanded Esther to go to the king and beg him and plead with him, beg for his favor and plead with him. Normally you see this phrases, beg his favor, plead with him in prayer. When we God go to God, we beg for his favor, we plead with him. But here for some reason, Mordecai doesn't go to God, he doesn't go to God and beg for his favor. He does not plead with God. What Mordecai is saying is, go to Esther and tell Esther to go to the king and beg his favor. Plead with him for deliverance. So Mordecai's first thought when he heard about the decree and all that was happening was Esther to appeal to the king. It seems here that he was placing his hopes on an intervention at a human level and his mind was not focused on bringing his petitions to God. There is no, no mention of prayer so far. Mordecai has shred his clothes. He was wearing uh, ashes and mourning. But there is no indication that Mordecai was begging God's favor. Mordecai was pleading with God. And all that he says is, Tell Esther that she has to go to the king and beg his favor and plead with him. Don't we also do that sometimes? Don't we? I think we also do that. Let us not just play Esther because... Sometimes we, instead of even begging God's favor, pleading with Him, our first thought is, how can we do this on our own? Can we ask this person, ask that, can we do that? But here we find Esther doing, Mordecai doing the same thing. So now let us read uh, verses 10 and 12. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. So Hetak has now come to Esther. Hetak has communicated what Mordecai has told him. And what is Esther's first response? Esther's first response to Mordecai's request is not positive. Esther was not unwilling, but she was afraid to go to the king. Esther did not absolutely refuse, but she raised objections. In a reply to Mordecai to be communicated through Hathak, Hathak, she gives two reasons why that she cannot do what Mordecai has requested her. First, she says, everyone in the kingdom knows that I cannot go to the king uninvited without risking my life. For unless the king extends his golden scepter, I will be put to death. Yes, she is saying, everyone in the, kings know, the kingdom knows about this rule. Uncle, you are in the royal service. Do you not know this rule? Everyone knows. 
that I cannot go to the king uninvited and if I go to the king uninvited and if the king does not extend his scepter then I will be put to death. This rule was passed by the Persian kings even before Agashwaras because this would stop people come from coming to the king's presence and attempting to kill the king. So it was a sort of a protection. They said unless somebody is invited they cannot come to the king's presence and if the king does not raise his scepter then that person will be put to death. So she is saying uncle this rule is there. I cannot go to the king's king without invitation. How do you expect me to go and beg the king's favor? How do you expect me to go and plead his favor? So that is the first reason she is giving. And she is giving one more reason. She is saying that the king has not summoned me for the last 30 days. I have not been with the king. I have been married to the king for now 5 years. But the last one month I have not been with the king. Probably Agasura's desire for Esther has cooled down by now. Or Agasura's may be sleeping with some other queen. We do not know but it was not a good sign. She is saying Agasura's I have not been in Agasura's presence for the last one month. And if Agasura's for some reason is thinking of replacing me with some other woman. This may even give him an opportunity because he can say, Ah, Esther came to my presence without I inviting her, then I had to put her to death. And he may go and find another queen. So, Esther is giving him two reasons. One is, I cannot go to the king without being invited. And then things between me and king, the king are not that rosy. We do not seem to be having that romance anymore. So, Esther reminds Mordecai of these consequences and asked him to reconsider his request. Now Esther sends Hathak this message and Hathak conveys Esther's message to Mordecai. And now by this time Hathak also comes to know that Esther is a Jew. Now the truth is just out. Esther is a Jew. Hathak comes to know because that when he conveys to Mordecai the information, he knows that Esther is a Jew. And I hope you are encouraged by Esther's word, I am not doing that. You may ask, why should I be encouraged by Esther's words that I am not doing it? Why as a believer I should be encouraged? Because if you are honest, you will see your face in the response of Esther. Most of us in a similar situation would not step up and say, Oh yeah, I will put my life in jeopardy for you, for the people of God and for the living God. Most of us will not raise our hand and say, Yes, I will put my life in jeopardy. No, we will not say. Our response will be similar to Esther. Our first response will be, Oh, I can't do that. I do, do not know how difficult it is. You do not have the problems I have. You think you only have the problem. I also have problems. So probably our response will be somewhat similar to Esther. And therefore I say, when you see Esther's word, you can be encouraged. Most of us are like Esther. 
and a very few of us are like Daniel and his friends. So when Esther says, I am not doing that, I think probably we can have some encouragement. Ah, Esther is like me or I am like Esther. And we will see as the story continues, God does not set Esther aside. Isn't it fantastic that God uses the faint-hearted people like Esther even when they say the no for the first time and even if they say the no the second, third time, God still uses faint-hearted people for his purpose, for his kingdom. So Esther's response in some way can be an encouragement to believers because our response in most of the times would be like Esther. Though we do not know the reason why King Ahasuerus did not summon Esther for 30 days, it is undoubtedly a part of divine plan. Because since Esther has not been invited for those 30 days, the, uh, the danger to her life is now severe and her faith has been tested severely. And when a faith has been tested severely, there we see God's own power manifested when she gets a gracious reception from the king, which we read in chapter 5. So when Esther goes to this great trial, and then when God comes to her rescue, there God is more glorified. So God does not secure the allegiance of his people by making them walk on a bed of roses. Sometimes people say, okay, when you become a Christian, everything will turn up fine. No, that doesn't happen like that. God does not secure the allegiance of a people by making them walk in a bed of roses. A disciple is one who will count the cost and who is willing to encourage. A disciple is one who will take the cross and follow Jesus. So a Christian is one who will be willingly bearing the cross, though it is just bearing thorns and not roses. And let us move to now verses 13 and 14. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time like this. It must have been a great shock to Mordecai to receive Esther's response. Now Esther was the, Mordecai was the one who brought up Esther. Esther was an orphan. And it was Mordecai who brought up Esther. And when Esther gives an answer like that, why she cannot do what Mordecai is saying, that would have come a big shock to Mordecai. Why Mordecai was not a person who was prepared to take no for an answer. And in his reply to Esther, he does not mince words. But I don't think Mordecai is threatening Esther. No, Mordecai, I don't think he is threatening Esther in his reply. I think he wants to encourage Esther to do the right thing. And therefore he gives you three points in reply to Esther's two points. What do you think? The first point is saying, do not think to yourself that in the king's place you will escape any more than all the other Jews. 
Do not think to yourself that in the king's place you will escape any more than all the other Jews. In other words, if Esther decided to continue to hide her Jewish identity and count on her position as the queen to protect her, Mordecai is saying, you are mistaken. The loop, the decree which the king has passed, it doesn't have any loophole. The decree is terrible, the decree is thorough, and the decree is without any exception. All the Jews, whether they are young and old, whether they are women and children, were to be killed on a single day, and there is no special escape clause for the queen. So she too being a part of the Jewish community, her faith is intertwined with the rest of the people and the rest of the people died, then she will also have to die because there is no exception. He is saying, just because you are in the palace, do not think you are safe. And the second thing he is saying is, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. What is the another place that Mordecai was talking about? Did Mordecai have a plan B that uh, if this fails that we can go back to plan B? And was there any highly placed Jew in the kingdom who will come and intervene if Esther was not prepared to intervene on behalf of her people? No! There was no such thing. There was no plan B, there was no other influential Jew who can intervene. The future of God's people was assured only if God could deliver them. But Mordecai, instead of stating that God is the ground of his confidence, Mordecai said vaguely, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. I wish he had said, relief and deliverance will come from God. That's what we expect Mordecai to come and say, but he's saying, relief and deliverance will come for the Jews from another place. And then thirdly, he gives another reason, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He doesn't say, you have come to the kingdom for such a time like this, or I know the will of God. No, he says, who knows? Who knows whether you have come to this for this time like this? Mordecai knows, knows well that how this ordinary Jewish girl, an orphan, has become the queen of King Ahasuerus. It was not a coincidence that Esther, an orphan, became the queen at the very time when the Jews needed help. And God had providentially placed Esther in a position better than anyone to meet the need of his people. And what we expect of Mordecai is, his words should have been similar to what Joseph, who said to his brothers, God sent me before you to preserve life. So Mordecai should be saying to Esther, and he know, God has sent you into this kingdom so that you can preserve the life of the Jews. But what Mordecai is saying is, and who knows, 
whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time like this Mordecai was not speaking to a pagan idol worshipper but Mordecai was speaking to someone who was part of the covenant community he was asking her to risk the life for the covenant people but strangely Mordecai does not invoke the name of God who carried the lives of the people in his hands strange it is but Mordecai even now does not use the name God as i have said in the introduction to the book of esther this is one book where you will not come come across the name God anywhere the word God is not anywhere uttered in the book of esther and here we find that Mordecai is talking something but he is not prepared to utter the word god the god uses people god chooses to use people but god is not dependent on them many believers act as though they are indispensable to god and as if they are not prepared to do his bidding god's work will come to a grinding halt no that is not true our sovereign god will accomplish his objectives with us or without us he calls out us so that our need to fulfill him is served not that god's need is fulfilled our need to fulfill god is served and therefore god calls us and god has placed esther in that era of history in that city of persia and even in the bedroom of agasuras so that when the moment came god could fulfill his ancient promises to his people through her esther was just a tool in god's hand esther was just an instrument in god's hand and here we find the interaction between god's sovereignty and human responsibility is beautifully portrayed Esther now had a life changing choice before her up until now while she was pretending to be a pagan she was controlled by her circumstances she had been passive and following the path of least resistance now a defining moment has come in the life of Esther and she has been given the task of taking the responsibility for her life by identifying herself with the people of god till now she might have regarded her as a secret believer or an undercover believer she may have said oh i am a secret uh, uh, christian or i may be a secret jew but outward she was a pagan now she has the opportunity to present her faith before everyone publicly no more private now she has an opportunity to present her faith publicly and now she can take one step further and she can protect the jewish people so that god's purpose will be fulfilled and faced with all this alternatives now esther has to make a choice and esther makes a choice too what is a choice we read in the last two verses then esther told them to reply to mordecai go rather all to the jews to be found in susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for 3 days night or day i and my young women will also fast as you do then i will go to the queen king though it is against the law and if i perish i perish 
Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Esther's words, I perish. If I perish, I perish. I believe is not a statement of robust faith, but a statement acknowledging the inevitable. But the more words of Mordecai proved to be a divine blessing, as we see. Whatever false confidence Mordecai Esther may have had, now suddenly she has been stripped of her false confidence. And Mordecai by his word has brought Esther to the defining moment where she is she can take control of the situation. The God who controls history has pushed her into a situation where Esther has no other way out. Esther realized that she has no other option but to do what Mordecai has commanded. As I said, God has pushed her. Mordecai has pushed her into a position where she realizes that she has no option. She was a faint-hearted believer and God has now pushed her into a corner where she has no other choice. Thank God that even when we are faint-hearted believers, God does not give up and sometimes even when we say deny, say no the first and second or third time, God pushes us to in a situation where we cannot say no. And here finally because Mordecai's answer, Esther realizes that she has no other option but to do what Mordecai has commanded. And for the first time in the story, now Esther identifies herself with God's people by joining the Jews in Susa in their fast. From this point onwards, from chapter 4 onwards, Esther took the lead and you will see in the remaining chapters, Esther takes the lead and Mordecai and others will be following her. Till that time she was a passive person. It was Mordecai who was commanding her and she was following Mordecai. But the moment she took a defining, this defining moment when she took a decision, now things have turned. Things have reversed. Now Esther is going to take the lead and Mordecai is going to follow. So at this defining moment in her own life, a crucial moment, God sovereignly fulfills his promise to the people of Persia through Esther. Now what are the closing applications I want to bring is when we think of Esther's defining moment I would say that Esther's defining moment is a shadow of the greatest defining moment in the history of the world. The fate of the world and its history lay before one man if he retreated, he would save himself, but the whole world would perish in its sin. However, if he puts his own life on the line, it would mean salvation and deliverance for God's people. The first thing would have been easier. Saving himself would have been easier. But the second one, putting his own life on the line, was the will of his father. 
Esther responded in a defining moment with the knowledge that she might perish. That's what she said. If I perish, I perish. So Esther responded in a defining moment with the knowledge that she might perish. But Jesus responded to the defining moment with the knowledge that he would surely perish. And that in his perishing, God would accomplish the deliverance of his people. A salvation much greater than the deliverance of the people in Persia. A salvation much greater than the deliveration, deliverance from the edict of Haman. A salvation which means that the people of God overcome the consequences of sin, death and evil. And I would say that that is the greatest defining moment. And Jesus knew what was happening and he accepted that. Now life, like all human beings, I have been so far critical of Mordecai and Esther. You would have said, oh, what's happening? They are the, uh, the main actors of this book, Mordecai and Esther. But this man has been just critical of them. Like all of us, Mordecai and Esther have flaws. And if you examine your life carefully, you will have to confess that in any given situation, you may have reacted worse than Esther. In times of crisis, for all our understanding of divine sovereignty, what is our first response? Think about it. What is your first response in a time of crisis? You think of human strategy. Or there may be an expression of resignation. But during that time of crisis, is there a robust proclamation of your faith in God? I leave it to you to judge. What is your reaction? You have so much of knowledge, you understand so much of theology. What is your reaction? I would say that many of us would have reacted worse than Esther. Look at the mirror. Do we not look like Esther and as Mordecai? We don't look like Daniel and his friends. I, I, I don't think any of us look like Daniel and his friends. If you really look at the mirror of scripture, you will think, you will know that you are worse than Esther and Mordecai. We believe in God, but when crisis in life strikes us, we do not look like unbelievers. We look like those who do not know God. We behave like, uh, believe our reactions like agnostics. Do we live out the theology we proclaim? Do we remind that God is always in control and that He has promised to work all things together for His glory and for our good? I leave it to you to examine. So, don't blame me if I am saying Esther and Mordecai are not, they are vague or their, their behavior is not that good. I would say that our, our behavior is much worse than that. And you look at the Jewish people, after chapter 4, you don't see the Jewish people fasting. Do you see anywhere the Jewish people fasting up to the ch chapter 4? You don't see any incidents of the Jewish people fasting. But suddenly they didn't see the need for fasting because life in Persia was going well. Life in Persia was comfortable, they had no need for fasting. But in an instant, the world turned upside down and they looked to God in fasting. I'm asking you a question, as a church, what will force us to go on our knees in prayer? 
If there is one thing which will force us to go on our knees in prayer, what should God do to us? In the Western countries, we do not live under persecution. Most of the Western countries, I would say any of the Western countries, we don't live under persecution. We may have trouble, we may have difficulties, we, people may oppose us, but we don't face persecution. But look at the other countries where they are facing persecution. People are going on their knees. When will we go? What should God make us to go on our knees? Why don't we see uh, people attending our prayer, why more numbers in our prayer meetings? Why do we see people suddenly missing a Sunday worship? We have our reasons, don't we? Esther had our reasons too. Remember that there is no guarantee of success when we stand up for God. If success means getting what we want. But God can use even our faint faith as the means of bringing glory to himself. With that assurance, we should be saying, if I perish, let me perish. Let me perish in a way that brings glory to God. If we are not willing to do what God has called us to do in our defining moment, as Mordecai pointed out, God will still accomplish his purposes through other means. But we will be missing uh, being a part of God's work and we will miss that in our own lives. God will accomplish his purposes but you will be missing out being a part of God's purpose. Like Esther, every one of us faces defining moments in our lives and the most fundamental defining moment is when we hear the gospel of the Lord and Jesus Christ and how we respond to that. I am again asking people who are not yet responded to the gospel. Do you choose to identify yourself with Christ and his people or you want to live like the word? When you hear the gospel, how do you want to respond? How have you responded? If you had responded to the gospel, praise God. But a choice to identify ourselves with Christ is just a beginning. And throughout our life, we will always receiving facing situations which demand that we choose either to identify ourselves with God or identify ourselves with the world. And that is going to be a, a continuous challenge as we grow up in our Christian life. It is not surprising that some Christians, even after coming to Christ, think that they can live like the world. Unfortunately, it is. But there are people, Christians, who have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they don't make that decision. When you come to Christ, you have come to the defining moment and it is not just the time when you say, I am a believer, Jesus has, uh, I have accepted him as my Lord and Savior. You continue to live like that. And when you come to Christ, you will have to take hard choices in your life. You cannot choose the path of least resistance like Esther was doing all these days. You will have to take the cross and walk. Like Esther, we may choose to do the right thing only when we are pushed. 
but thanks to god because of his abundant mercy and grace god does not give up on his people who live like the world but god chooses to confront his people with defining moments and forces them to step living like the world esther was living like the world esther had compromised esther had compromised her identity no one knew that but at a defining moment god put her in such a place that she will have to say either yes or no and esther said okay now i identify myself with god thank god that even when we are feeble christians even when our theology is thin it is okay we thank god for his continuous grace and mercy towards us he keep he does not leave us we are persevering not because of our own strength not because of our own faith it is god who is behind us thank god that he has been with us and i pray that he may be with us so when believers take god at his word and step out in faith god is faithful and he carries them through and you remember the last song we sang when we have exhausted our store of endurance when our strength has failed before the day is half done when we reach the end of our hoarded resources our father's full giving is only begun we may think that everything is over our resources are gone everything is over but we know that there is a god who gracefully graciously supplies all our needs even when we are weak and stumbling when we look, when we are stumbling in our spiritual life god does not give up on us thank god for it now let us pray god our heavenly father we thank you for this sunday morning we thank you lord that as a church we can again look at the book of esther which was written many thousands years back we thank you lord that uh, that book even though it doesn't mention god it continues to speak to the hearts of believers i thank you lord for that lord i pray that as christians who have accepted jesus we pray lord that you may continue to be with us so that we do not live anymore like the rest of the world but we live like people we may be, uh, not only we may be filled with knowledge but i pray lord that our behavior may show that we are christians i pray for those who have not come to the saving knowledge of jesus christ lord i pray that uh, they may not put off they may not postpone lord they may know the saving work of god in their hearts and minds be with our young people lord i pray lord that you may open their hearts and minds so that they may come to love jesus christ thank you once again for this time in jesus name i pray Amen.